0: Okay, for the split sermon time this morning, it'll be brought to us by Mr. Matthew Steele, and it is an introduction to Ephesians Bible study. Good afternoon, everyone. It's just like there's no room in here. We're a little thin on the ground. Um, I, I have to apologize a little bit. I'm not as prepared as maybe I normally am, uh, Steve was supposed to be taking the, the split uh, message this morning uh, this afternoon and um, uh, I got a call about uh, I don't know an hour and a half ago or something like that uh, asking, asking me to, to take his place. Um, the whole family has been potentially exposed to COVID, so they wanted to uh, to make sure that you know they weren't uh, passing that on and, and being safe about things. However, we were going to uh, share with everybody um, uh, the start of a new Bible study that we're going to uh, go through as a congregation. I don't know if anybody remembers, but probably a few years ago now, we did a countdown to Pentecost. Uh, Yes, Brian, I'm sorry, I left it up there. Um, We did a countdown to Pentecost Bible study. Do you guys remember that? So this is a little uh, similar to that. in, in that it 's a it 's a Bible study that we can do at home during the week, and then when we gather together uh, for uh, services instead of a message during this time we 'll get to share what we got out of the bible study um, and uh, and any insights and so on that we've we 've had very much like uh, the Pente- Pentecost uh, Bible study that we did, but as you can imagine doing Uh, a Bible study like the one we did where this weekly lesson um, and trying to make it interesting and, uh, you know, help us all actually do the Bible study because that's kind of a hard thing to make yourselves do sometimes during the week. So, um, a lot of work to do that. Uh, Curtis, I think you wrote some lessons. I I wrote some lessons. Uh, Steve wrote some lessons. And then my wife, um, unfortunately for her, had to edit everything that we wrote and uh, actually put it into the English language with all the proper, uh, at least for my part, with all the, the proper uh, pronunciation and, uh, and editing and everything. So, um, so it's a lot of work. And uh, Steve and I, we, we, you know, we've got feedback from everybody saying, let's do this again. Uh, and, you know, we have done this over the years, slightly different formats, but we have done Bible studies uh, as a congregation many different times over the years. So, wanting to do it again, uh, Steve and I set about doing some research. What uh, already established materials could we use that uh, align with our, our beliefs and our doctrines, um, but we don't have to write the lessons for? Um, so, yes, we're cheating a little bit on, on our part. Um, and uh, he has a study that wasn't quite ready to uh, we, we needed to do some uh, adjustment to, and so that wasn't quite ready. So we, we went ahead with the one that I found. Uh, you guys may have heard me talk about Anti Wright before, Tom Wright. Um, he is, uh, oddly enough, uh, you know, he's a, a Church of England a bishop, former bishop of Durham. He's one of the uh, most eminent, I guess you would say, Curtis, Wright, uh, apologists for Paul. Um, His uh, his work on Paul is kind of uh, very much the, uh, in the larger Christian world, very much uh, studied and and followed. He is a professor now at uh, St. Andrews uh, University in Scotland, Um, but he has put together these uh, Bible studies. They're called NT Right for Everyone, Um, and You know, in spite of what you might think, an Anglican bishop, what could he bring to a Sabbath-keeping congregation? Uh, Surely we have quite a lot of differences. But interestingly enough, N.T. Wright has some things that are very, very similar to what we believe. And it's it's actually really appropriate for Ephesians. Because N.T. Wright believes, as we believe, that we don't go to heaven when we die. He believes that we die. And maybe our spirit returns to God that gave it, like Paul has indicated, but that there's there's no conscious awareness in heaven for the saints, that there's a resurrection and that the kingdom of God is coming to the earth. And, you know, when I first was listening to him and studying what he's talking about, I'm like, How did he get one of our doctrines? How does that happen? Well, of course, it's in the Word of God, isn't it? And so if somebody is honest and truthful about their study of the Word, uh, they are going to some, come to some of the same conclusions that we have. So he believes, as we do, the kingdom of God is going to be on this earth and that God is going to restore and redeem the earth through his children, which are the saints. Um, and so... That's, that's also very much uh, in Ephesians. So, um, we've, we've kind of gone through it. I've gone through most of the lessons in here. There is a few places where we will have a conversation and we'll say, ah, we, don't, we don't agree with that. But you know we're gonna find that with probably anybody uh, and any author. And we may even find that amongst ourselves, right? We have, even within our own traditions, some, some different perspectives on Holy days, or, or, or so on. So, um, I think we're mature enough and capable enough as a group to understand those differences and to to use the word of God and, and to to understand. You know what what God is having us learn from this lesson. Um, and then you know the other the other thing that I really like about um, these study guides. My wife has actually used some of the other. He has, I think, a booklet on. I think all of the, the epistles of Paul and she's gone through um, some of these with, with our boys as part of the homeschool curriculum. They do that uh, do, do that study every morning. Um, really, really, very good because they can go from literally young teenagers all the way through adults. so you can get as deep as you want, and his questions, while simple, can open up all kinds of thinking and ideas and I was going through it, and at first I was like, well, these are kind of easy questions, Tom. I mean, you know, this isn't super deep theology, but then after a while I found myself writing out entire paragraphs of thoughts and ideas that were coming from the scriptures. And so he just starts us off, and then we go as deep as we want into the word of God. So um, we're going to start this for this quarter. Um, We have ordered uh, 40 books that will hopefully arrive this week, um, and we'll be handing them out uh, next week. And we'll probably have kind of a part two introduction. All of this was supposed to happen next week, uh, but with with everything going on with uh, Steve and the family, uh, I just kind of moved it up a little bit. So we'll, we'll look at that a little bit more deeply. Um, so at this time, Brian has uh, has a video that I'd like him to uh, to play just kind of let you see who N.T. Wright is, and uh, it's a little bit of an intro. It's actually an intro to a course that he does online on Ephesians, but I think it's appropriate for, for our study. And if you can read lips.
1: I've often reflected that if Martin Luther and the other 16th century reformers had made Ephesians, rather than Galatians and Romans, the center of their theological exposition... Hello. I'm Tom the whole Wright. The course of Welcome. Western hey, line.
0: <laughs> We're just going to have to go with the flow today.
1: Hello, I'm Tom Wright. Welcome to Wright Online. I want to introduce you to a new course that we're offering on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I've often reflected that if Martin Luther and the other 16th century reformers had made Ephesians rather than Galatians and Romans the center of their theological exposition, the whole course of Western history might have been different because they were able to interpret those letters in one way But in Ephesians, Paul says something which didn't quite get caught that way. Namely, that through God's purpose in Christ, heaven and earth are to come together. And that that coming together of heaven and earth is reflected in the unity of the church across the division between Jew and Gentile. And that that itself is then going to be reflected in the coming together of the church as a new family, a new humanity, including interestingly, the joining together of man and woman in marriage. So Paul has got in this letter some quite different things to say about the way God has revealed mysteries which have been laid hidden for many generations, things that he has discerned through scripture, things that he's discerned through meditating on who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. And in this letter, we're going to be exploring many extraordinary themes as Paul grapples with the questions of how God's power has defeated all the powers of the world powers which were very prevalent in Western Turkey in his day when he's writing this letter. And then how that victory is to be worked out through the battles that the church itself still has to fight. Battles for holiness, battles for unity, battles in what we might call spiritual warfare. It is a delight to see how Paul handles these and brings them together with elegance and with power. I want to invite you then to explore these themes with me as we go through this course on Ephesians. I don't think you were disappointed by this. These are great ideas put forward in powerful words. Paul may be in prison, but he still has a whole lot to say.
0: So that's, uh, that's NT Wright and um, you may be able to pick up his accent in the writing as well. So. I actually met him once in uh, Dallas. Uh, he was uh, speaking at uh, the university uh, down there and uh, had a chance to, to go down and listen to him and, and meet him. And um, uh, he's very much an introvert. And so I'm meeting him, and I'm very much an introvert. So we really didn't say a lot, but it, it, was, it was still, still interesting. So over the next 10 weeks, uh, we're going to study. There's actually 11 lessons, but because of how, how the timing uh, brings us up to uh, the Holy Days, uh, we're, we're going to do the first two lessons together. So extra little bit of, uh, of homework on the, on the first. Um, so I thought it might be useful uh, to just kind of give ourselves a little taste of, as he just you know hinted there, on Ephesians and uh, what that world looked like a little bit. Um, And, uh, you know, as he referenced the powers that were in the world at that time and in that place specifically where the Ephesian church was in Ephesus. It was a city that had been previously, it was previously a Greek city. And then it had been sacked by Rome essentially. The Romans just came in and just kind of knocked everything down, established their authority. And then over time, the Romans eventually kind of fell in love with, with the Greek culture, and Ephesus was rebuilt uh, in many ways as a Roman uh, city. Um, it was a port, uh, although now I guess the way the, the coastlands have changed there, it's, it's somewhat inland, um, but it was a port city. And so um, I, I was actually, I- independent of this, just watching a documentary uh, this last week. On Rome, and there was an interesting segment on Ephesus. Um, so I thought I would bring that uh, for you guys to, to take a look at. So Brian, can you play that? Maybe with the audio. And this is just taken. This is just taken a one part out of uh, you know an hour long uh, uh, video. Yes, there is supposed to be audio,
2: and. A key. And a key part of that distribution were the ports, nerve centers of Roman trade and commerce. One of the cities that flourished in the commercial world of the Roman Empire was Ephesus, which became a hub of import and export. It had once been an old famous Greek town, going back centuries, but it was transformed by the Romans. Everything we now see here is the result of Roman investment. And the reason it was so important in the Roman world is simple. It's harbour. Imperial trade needs more than ships and merchants. It needs well-functioning harbours. The coastline around Ephesus has long since changed, and it's now a good way inland. But in its heyday, it was an important maritime gateway to the east and to rich pickings from as far away as India, a reminder that the Roman world was much bigger than the Roman Empire, and Ephesus would have felt like the whole cosmos had descended here. People from everywhere speaking as many languages on the streets then as they do now. A city, the court of a million. Not just those that lived here, but people coming and going, and everyone busy, busy, busy. The honest guys doing a hard day's work, the cheats and the chancers, the go-getters and the bureaucrats, and of course, the money makers. If you could afford a pad in the heart of Ephesus, then the chances are you profited from the constant flow of goods through the harbour. These are upmarket houses for those who'd made it. This is all amazing, but it's also quite confusing. There's a series of houses, one above the other, running up the hillside, and they're partly interlocking, so it's quite hard to tell where one house stops and the next one starts. But what is clear is that there was a luxurious lifestyle going on here, that some people in Ephesus including the owners of these properties, were doing very nicely, thank you. And it makes the point that the benefits of empire did not only flow to the imperial palace or to people in Rome itself. The homes of the Ephesus elite were evidently pretty flashy, no expense spared. The fashions and trends of the city Rome itself were imitated and reproduced here we've come into a, a kind of reception hall on a really palatial scale also it must all have been faced with marble right the way around and you can see the columns of marble on the side and there'll be panels in between and this is where somebody big entertained and displayed his wealth and power this is you know almost imperial scale um, must be pretty terrifying I think to be a guest at this house and uh, I'm standing on a a modern walkway um, that you can see there must have been a great big door and there's big door fixings on either side you have to imagine that you would have had the door opened for you into this and there the big man would be ready to greet and possibly humiliate you things that came from the temples of Ephesus really live up to that classy Roman style. So too do the things from the terraced houses. One of the highlights are some exquisite, if to my taste slightly militaristic, ivory plaques showing the Emperor on campaign. But across the board the finds here really are top-of-the-range, the the best that money could buy. The question is, where did the money come from? Now, where did these guys who own these houses make their cash? Well, trade, obviously, but to say trade makes it all sound a bit easy, a bit comfortable. One of the biggest commodities that came through the port of Ephesus were human beings. This town was a great centre of the slave trade. Slaves flowed through the marketplace at Ephesus, like olive oil through Seville. The brutal truth was that many Romans wouldn't have seen much of a distinction between the two. As they saw it, slaves were one of the products of empire. Many the victims of Roman conquest, or kidnapping, or just foundlings. If you wanted to buy a slave, this is where you'd have come. It's uncomfortable to grasp, but the Roman Empire depended on slave labour. And like every other ancient society, the Romans took slavery absolutely for granted. But uncomfortable as it is, if we want to understand rather than just deplore what went on here, we have to try to get into the mindset of those who came to buy slaves. What did they think they were doing? My guess is they thought they were doing their shopping. Perhaps they were here after a gardener, or a tutor for their child, or maybe a hairdresser. How were they going to be sure they weren't ripped off? Could they trade in last year's model? And were they missing out on a special offer next week, three for two? That may seem a very callous way of putting it, but it is the everyday reality of Roman life.
0: So that's just a, a little historical uh, look, a little snippet, if you will, of uh, Ephesus and uh, what did you think of that last part about slavery and just how flippant uh, you know they were in their culture about enslaving people? I mean it just it doesn't really compute to our mind anymore, does it and, and we're glad for that. Um, but it's interesting, Paul does not ignore that in Ephesians. Um, and I want to just kind of just turn to Ephesians um, just a little bit to maybe, you know, just get some of our ideas going about uh, this Bible study and, and the people that lived there that were Christians. Because I imagine that there was Christians across all walks of life uh, and those that may have been living in some of those very fine houses with you know, those decorations. It's incredible that those wall decorations are still there and we can kind of see how they decorated their home and it makes it very personal uh, and the mosaics on the floor with the, the lion and, and so on and it, it you know, to me that made that really real they decorated their walls just like we decorate our walls. They have tile floors like, just like we do. And in fact, we do that because they did that. Uh, you know, We have inherited very much the culture and the mindset um, of the Roman world. Just jumping into Ephesians chapter 6. You know, Paul is going to cover a lot of things in Ephesians um, and I just want to, to really touch upon uh, maybe some of the more uncomfortable areas that, that he does uh, look into. He says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleases, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord, and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same. From the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And that is fascinating, isn't it? When you think about how the entire wealth of that city, and in, in fact, probably all of the Roman Empire, was built on the backs of slaves. You know, today, in, even in our economies uh, around the world today, there is a hidden slavery that goes on around the world. We may polish it up, we may hide it in different ways. We may call it something else but it's still here. And that is the largest expense any company generally has is labor even if they're not slaves. The cost to hire people to perform the work to do the task is expensive and especially in the Western world. And so thinking about Paul writing to these Ephesians Firstly, he's writing to people who are slaves, who are working for someone not of their own volition and of their own choice. And that's kind of interesting. Because, I mean, to our mindset, we could think that the Christian faith should naturally bring forth freedom, liberty, and that these guys... Well, they should be freedom fighters, right? To liberate people who are slavery. And yet, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh. He's telling them to actually conduct themselves. And not only just be obedient but be obedient as though they are working for Jesus Christ himself. Now we're fortunate and blessed to not be in a situation in the world that, where we are slaves. But we sometimes might feel trapped in a job that we hate. <laughs> right? We can find ourselves working for someone that we might despise. We can find ourselves hating the job itself and the things that we need to do and we're stuck because of the economy or, or whatever circumstances there are. And, and I think Paul is telling us, as much as he's telling these people that we're actual slaves, work for your boss as though you are working for Jesus Christ. He says, be obedient. To your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ not with eye service as men pleasers but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does he will receive the same from the Lord whether he is slave or free and there's that encouragement that even if you are a slave or even if you are stuck in a job that you hate, we can do it to the Lord. We can work and be honest and do a good job and do the the best that we can and we will get the same reward. Honesty, integrity, fulfilling the commitment that we made in our work. Then he says this, and you, masters... What was that like when they gathered for church? You had the masters and you had the slaves. Were they all gathered together listening to this letter? Was it uncomfortable? Was that odd? (laughs) I wonder what that was like because he's writing to people who are slave owners. He's writing to people who are the slaves. And he's telling them how to conduct themselves in that relationship. He says, and you masters do the same things to them giving up threatening aha now we start to change behavior because threatening force you know the threat of pain punishment imprisonment is a controlling factor isn't it over the life of a slave and so he is starting to introduce changes in how people behave towards each other, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So you might find yourself being the master over a slave. But remember, you have a master. And he doesn't view you or your slave any differently. (laughs) And so we look at that and we say, was Paul really not introducing freedom or liberty as he's writing and as he's encouraging these slaves and and these masters to behave differently to each other. It's very subtle. But I think the message of Christianity is there, is that we are all what? Created equal. He's just said that. I mean the the essence of that term uh, that we know so well is right here there's no partiality with God masters or slaves we are all created equal we are all equal in the sight of God and then he says finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We do do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. It is very, very easy to make people the enemy, isn't it? To make those that have heard us, those that maybe have enslaved us, those that have control over us and and maybe abuse us, to make them the enemy and to want to go to war against them, to want something to happen to them. (laughs) I want justice. God, bring me justice. And yet, Paul is reminding us to put on the armor of God fight the spiritual battle, not the physical one. He could have said it differently. You know, he could have brought about these ideas of you bondservants, you need to rise up against your masters. You need to overthrow them. But he didn't. He told them to fight the spiritual battle. And in doing so, maybe every day, working for that master the best they could. And then what's going to happen? they are going to get better treatment, most likely. I don't need to punish this, this guy. I don't need to make them afraid. Look at what a good job they do for me. Very much the example, isn't it, that we find in the life of Joseph. When he was enslaved, he did the best work that he could. He was a blessing to his master. It still falls hard on our ears. We revile slavery. We revile all the the sin that has come from slavery in our own culture's history and in, in the history of the world. But yet Paul is asking us to do something different, to be different. Even when we are finding ourselves in difficult situations, where well, we don't have control, where well, we don't have the power. He's asking us to fight the spiritual battle. I just found that really interesting and encouraging, and, and it, was, it was a little disturbing to me in, in that video when I was watching it, that they're just so callous. Oh, I'm going to the store today. I'm going to pick up a slave and some groceries. But that's the world they lived in. And Paul was writing to these people in the world that they lived in and trying to help them understand the truth of Christ Jesus and understand what their role was going to be. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your waist girded with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having... Charge your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking on the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. And I think that's something else that we will get out of this Bible study and, and encourage us to continue to do this is praying for one another. Praying for one another as saints, recognizing that we are the saints, recognizing other saints of God spread abroad, and praying for one another, especially in these in these times. I think the more we study Ephesus and the more we study Ephesians will understand how very much the world that we live in today is like the world that Paul was writing to and lived in himself. So I hope you will uh, enjoy the Bible study. Um, as I said, we'll have the books for collection uh, next Sabbath. And uh, if you can afford to, to help cover the cost on that, they're about $8.50 each book for uh, the book and shipping. Uh, if you cannot, don't worry about it, please take the book. We ordered about 40, so we figured that's enough for uh, every household, generally speaking. There's not a lot of room to write your answers, so I've, when I've been doing them, I've just been writing in a, a separate notebook. So I think it'd be easy for people to share. Hopefully husbands and wives share okay. All
2: right, thank you everyone.